Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, Neutrality is Impossible, preached on July 30th, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Shall we all open our uh, Bibles to the 12th chapter of Matthew, maybe look upon this passage beginning with verse 22 through 37. And may you pray in your hearts that God's Holy Spirit will give you understanding into the Holy Scriptures. I want to speak on the subject, neutrality is impossible. And I want to speak concerning three reactions to this miracle that is recorded in this passage. A miracle that revealed that Jesus Christ is the son of David. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. That in Jesus Christ, truly the kingdom of God has come. According to Jesus Christ, there are only two kingdoms. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. A kingdom of good and a kingdom of evil. And we read in this passage of scripture that someone brought to Jesus a demonized person who was blind and mute. We are not told who brought this man to Jesus, but praise God for the love that was shown to him by his friends. He could not have come to Jesus by himself because he was demon-possessed, he was blind, he was mute, and theologically a sinner, meaning suffering from total inability to love God. How can he come himself, therefore? So those who brought him to Jesus knew Jesus, that he is a savior of sinners. And not only that, they loved this despicable man. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus as the Savior of the world? Do you love sinners who are subjects of Satan and are spiritually blind and mute? They are all around us, including our friends and relatives. Nobody may give you credit for bringing sinners to Jesus, but one day Jesus will recognize your part in the salvation of the lost. Nobody can save sinners but Jesus alone. But every friend of Jesus can introduce sinners to him. Jesus, we learn from the scripture, loves sinners. He is a friend of sinners. He died for sinners. So Jesus, you notice, cast out the demon from this man. And instantly, the blind saw and the mute began to speak. The first person this blind 
person saw, I believe, was Jesus. The first words he spoke, I suppose, were these words, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me such rich salvation, full and free. I'm sure those who brought him to Jesus Christ also rejoiced with inexpressible joy as this man was saved and healed. And not only that, their faith in Jesus Christ grew as they saw another demonstration of the saving work of Jesus Christ. As I said, there are only two kingdoms and people belong to one or the other. But there is also this truth that once all people belonged to the kingdom of the evil one. For Bible says all have sinned, all are blind, all are mute, all are governed by the spirit of the power of this age, which St. Paul calls the spirit of disobedience, spirit of rebellion. All are dead in trespasses and sins. All are enemies of the good. All are without strength to save themselves. All are ungodly. Not a good picture of the fallen man, as the scripture tells us then how can anyone be saved unless God loves the world of sinners and makes them able to know who Jesus is and trust him for their eternal salvation? So the question is, who is this Jesus? Who is this Son of Man? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Jesus asked once. Who do you say that Jesus is? Every true believer in Jesus is given spiritual understanding by the Father to answer that question correctly as Peter did when he confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, we see in the scriptures a mysterious thing. God conceals on the one hand and reveals on the other. He hides the kingdom of God from the wise and the prudent and the competent and the great and the powerful and the mighty, but reveals the kingdom of God to the babes, to the infants. This is mysterious, but it is very real. So all who believe in Jesus Christ believe and be saved because to them God reveals the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Satan is pictured in this passage as well as in Luke 11, 21 and 22 as a strong one. All sinners are pictured here as his goods in his house. Satan is fully armed and he is guarding his goods, the subjects of his kingdom. Your unbelieving mother, father, brother, sister, and friends 
are all his goods, which he is guarding with all his might. Satan controls them. No one can get out. And no one wants to get out. Escape from the kingdom of Satan is utterly impossible. No one has ever gotten out of his prison yet. His goods are safe. As long as no one stronger than Satan comes to war against Satan's kingdom. But thank God there is one sent by God, the Father, for the singular purpose of warring against the strong one, Satan. That was the purpose of Christ's incarnation, to war against Satan and defeat him completely and set certain captives free. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the authority of God, the power of God came against the kingdom and the power and the authority of the evil one. Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit for this specific purpose, to war against the kingdom of the evil one. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to cleanse the lepers, and above all, to announce the gospel of the kingdom of God. So he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In the Gospel of John, we read in the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 31, Jesus Christ says this, Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. All there means all who are chosen from the foundation of the world for salvation. All those who are presently under the control of Satan. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, John gives us the reason for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Devil's work of sin and disease and wars and poverty and conflicts and divorces, depression and misery of every kind, death and hell, malice and envy and works of the flesh and sexual immorality, every kind of evil work of the evil one. Jesus Christ came to destroy. And so also the writer of the Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. 
Paul says the same thing in Colossians 2.15. And Jesus Christ having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus Christ came to crush the head of the serpent as was promised long ago. We read in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. The stronger one has come in Jesus Christ. He bound the strong man. He disarmed him. He confronted him at temptation. And Satan was defeated. He confronted him at every miracle. Satan was defeated. Finally he confronted him on the cross. And Satan was defeated once and forever. Yes, Jesus bound the strong man. He disarmed him. And therefore, Jesus Christ alone is able to set the captives of Satan free. The demonized man was his captive, but God's elect. But Jesus set him free. No sinner can set himself free, but Jesus can set any sinner free. He is able to save to the uttermost. The stronger one has come. The kingdom of God has come. Salvation to the captives has come. His people are being set free. They confess him now. They rejoice now. They worship him now. They proclaim his salvation now. That is one reaction. The reaction of the believers. The reaction of the friends of Jesus Christ to this miracle. But there is another reaction, which is the reaction of the crowd, who also saw this amazing miracle. In one moment, the man was demonized and violent, deaf, blind and mute. But instantly, the demon came out by the authority of Christ, by the authority of this kingdom of God. And he sees and he speaks and he is saved and he is well. There was always, of course, the crowd. And let's look at the reaction of the crowd as recorded in verse 23. All the people were astonished. I told you about the crowd. They are, they are always for a kick, for a thrill, for an astonishment. And they said, could this be the son of David? It's a question. It is not a statement. It's not a confession. It is a question. There was always crowd with Jesus. They seek news. They seek excitement. They seek to be amazed. They seek thrill. They don't seem to realize their own needs. They seem to be self-sufficient. They follow Jesus, but not us, his disciples, they want to be fed with bread. They want a political messiah who will increase monies in their pockets, who will give them political victory and political power. Now look at the reaction of the crowd. They saw the miracle. They saw the demonized violent man brought to Jesus by his friends who believed in Jesus. They saw by their own eyes. 
Jesus casting out demons and healing him. They saw his eyes being opened. They heard him speak and thank Jesus for healing him. Yet they do not believe in him. They have questions. They have doubts. They will not directly assert that Jesus is the son of David. Because when you directly make that assertion, when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are inviting the animosity and the enmity of Satan and of the world. Yes, they are questioning whether he is the Christ, the Messiah, or the Savior. But when you look at Matthew 9, verse 27, we see two blind men. They call upon this Jesus Christ as the son of David. And you see the same thing from blind Bartimaeus. He calls Jesus Christ son of David. That's confession. In the midst of the world, when other people refuse to confess him, you confess that Jesus Christ is the son of David. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah, but not the crowd. They will not do that. They don't want to decide. They prefer neutrality. Maybe this one is the Messiah. Maybe this one is not the Messiah. Maybe someone else is the Messiah. Remember, even John the Baptist had this problem and he sent his disciples. We see that in the 11th chapter of Matthew. And Jesus Christ points to his miracles. And he tells them, this is it, I am the Messiah. Maybe this one is the Messiah. Maybe this one is not the Messiah. Maybe some guru in India is the Messiah. Maybe there are many messiahs. This is sitting on the fence. This is a very comfortable condition. People think this is the best condition to be in. You can have the world and the world to come, so to speak. Having seen the miracles and having heard his teaching, having heard his own statement that in him the kingdom of God has come, having heard that he is stronger than Satan, the crowd prefers to be doubtful. There are many, many people like this crowd. They are given sufficient understanding of who Jesus is. There is a Bible that tells us all who Jesus is. Yet they doubt and sit. They do not act like enemies of Jesus Christ. No, they are not taking stones to kill him. They may not even mock him, but they will not confess. They will not repent. They will not trust him for their salvation. But such people must realize when it comes to Jesus Christ, neutrality is an impossibility. You must decide. Either for him or against him. Not to decide for him is to decide against him. Jesus came to divide humanity into two. And let me read to you some scriptures that tell us clearly that Jesus did not come to bring peace on earth. And love everybody and hug everybody and take care of everybody. We read in Matthew 10, 34 and following, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, etc. 
Luke 2 verse 35 tells us Simeon is prophesying about Jesus Christ so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This Jesus Christ will reveal the thoughts of many people as they begin to make their decision for and against Jesus Christ. And in Luke 12, 52, we read, For now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided in terms of their relationship with Jesus Christ or not. You cannot sit on the fence. There cannot be any neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Joshua said the same thing. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord. Elijah said the same thing. In First Kings verse 18, we read this. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? What are two opinions? Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe Jehovah is Lord. Maybe Baal is Lord. It's a good position they think to be in. No, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But notice it says, but the people said nothing. They like the comfortable position of neutrality. They think it is possible. Look at Mary, concerning Mary, we read this, the sister of Lazarus, but only one thing is needed. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I'm saying the neutrality of the crowd is an impossibility. They think it is a comfortable situation. You don't have to take a clear stand for Jesus Christ and put yourself in trouble by Satan and the world. Maybe there are people here like the crowd. They do not realize the greatest need of a savior. They do not realize soon you will die and enter into a destiny of doom. You are under the rule of this Satan. You are in the empire of the evil one. And I say, wake up, <laughs> realize that there is a stronger one who has come in Jesus Christ. He has bound Satan. He is even now freeing his captives. It's time that you decided that you trust in Christ. He is the son of David, the Messiah, the only one who is able to save sinners. And now let's look at the reaction of the Pharisees. And it is stated in the 24th verse of Matthew 12. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out 
demons. The Pharisees and scribes were the ecclesiastical authorities who came down to Galilee to warn people about this false prophet. And also they came so that they could level certain charges in the Sanhedrin against Jesus Christ. They have heard his teachings. They have seen with their own eyes remarkable and irrefutable miracles. In chapter 11, Jesus himself said in verse 4 of chapter 11 of Matthew, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Evidence. Evidence after evidence given to the Pharisees and to the scribes. But they were envious of Jesus over against all evidence they decided against Jesus. They decided against him. They treated Jesus with absolute contempt. And it comes very clear in the Greek. This fellow. This fellow. Who does not keep the traditions of the elders. This fellow who eats with sinners. This fellow. Is not the Messiah. He cannot be the son of God. He's crazy, he's demon-possessed, he's a glutton, he's a wine-bibber, he's a Samaritan, he's a fraud, he's a false prophet. Irrefutable miracle, they will not question it. They never question the fact that Christ has performed miraculous things. But now in this twisted mind, they come to the opposite conclusion. That he did this by the power of Satan. Yes, they saw the remarkable miracle of casting out the demon and healing the blind and the mute. But their mind is twisted. Their mind is made up. Yes, there is a remarkable miracle, but this fellow casts out demons by the power of the chief of demons. Jesus, you notice, enters into a devastating dialogue with the Pharisees. And he says this, an empire divided against itself cannot stand. That's a fundamental principle. Whether it is an empire, whether it's a city, or whether it is a house that is divided against itself will not stand. What Jesus Christ is saying, don't you think that Satan is stupid? Satan is intelligent. And he will not let anyone in his kingdom to oppose himself, let alone Satan opposing himself. That is a stupid argument. Number two, he says to the Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You are inconsistent. You credit your own disciples for casting out demons. You said that they cast out demons by divine power. And yet, being hypocrites you are, you come to me and you say that I cast out demons by satanic power. Number three, you are obscuring the truth, Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Hypocrite. And now he comes in clear language. He tells, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. 
and not by the evil spirit. And then he draws this amazing conclusion. Therefore, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Satan is being defeated. His kingdom is crumbling. You must decide now. But you have decided against me. And then he says a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. You could tell what fruit is going to come out by looking at the nature of the tree. A bad heart brings forth bad words. In other words, Jesus Christ is saying there is a total inability you have to bring forth anything good because your being is bad. You have that basic inability to say anything good because you are evil. Then he says, how can you who are evil say anything good? It is an impossibility. And then listen to the language of Jesus Christ. And you get a different idea of who Jesus is. He's not just a nice person. He's also the judge. He says, you offspring of vipers. That's bad language. By any count, it is bad language. And they deserved it because it comes straight from Genesis chapter 3.15. You are the offspring of snake, of Satan. The truth is you are the tools of Satan, not I. You are the tools of Satan. Even now Satan is using you to oppose the kingdom of God. You are against me, so I am against you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> not to save you but to damn you, to destroy you and not to save you at all like the Pharaoh, they will not be saved. They will not believe. They will not repent. They love Satan. They serve Satan. Jesus has come in his kingdom upon them in the sense against them. You are like Judas. And you read John chapter 13 verse 2, Satan prompted him. And then in verse 27, Satan went into him. People are tools. The kingdom of God will be taken away from such people. What is kingdom of God? It is life, it is hope, it is righteousness, it is peace, it is joy indescribable. It is salvation, it is the realm of salvation, it is the realm of light, it will be taken away from you. The builders, the authorities rejected this stone, but it has become the capstone. This is the Lord's doing. Those who trust in this stone will be saved. But upon those this stone falls, Jesus said in Matthew 21, they will be crushed. In the book of Daniel, Daniel saw this. Chapter 2, verse 34, while you were watching, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, a rock! That stands for the kingdom of God. That stands for power. That stands for strength and might and authority. A rock that was cut out but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The kingdom of God has come upon you. That is the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ coming upon all rebellious powers that are opposed to him. 
All rebellion shall be crushed and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. All Pharisees and scribes and all their friends who decide against Jesus will find in Jesus an enemy who judges them to their eternal destruction. And you see that. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, you see God throwing the serpent into the lake of fire. And in verse 14 and 15, we see God throwing all who served Satan into the same lake of fire. The kingdom of God has come upon them. And so what is the conclusion? There are those who decided against Jesus. You can tell them everything, you can prove it to them, you can preach to them, you can show the irrefutable miracles, you can tell them the claim that Jesus Christ made, you can tell them that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you can tell them Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand of God the Father, he's coming again to judge the world. Nothing will make them change their mind that they are against Jesus Christ and they are against God's Son, but they are for Satan. Have you seen them? You tell them, you plead with them, but they will not pay any attention. But they are nice, they are sophisticated, they are scientists, they are lawyers, they are judges. They make money, they live in nice section and in bad section but they will not be saved. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 32. For Jesus Christ is saying, this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It shall not be forgiven you in this world or in the world to come. And then, verse 36 of Matthew 12, we read, but I tell you that men will give account on the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment. You saw your mother, your father, your brother, your friends. You have pleaded with them. And I exhort you to continue to plead with them. But you must understand, there are some who are damned and who will not believe in the gospel because they have decided against Jesus Christ, against all the overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the king of kings. He's the son of David, the Lord of lords. Secondly, there are those who are fence-sitting people. The crowd, thrill-seekers, the excitement. They go to church all right, but they always ask questions. That's all. Is this possibly be the son of David? But they will never affirm like blind Bartimaeus, save me. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. They doubt. And I say such people, I say to you, if you are among the crowd, I say to you, all proof necessary is given in the Bible for you to be convinced that Jesus is the son of David, the king of kings, the lord of lords, that Jesus Christ is God that in him the kingdom of God has come into this world, that he truly has defeated Satan and all his kingdoms. 
And even now he is liberating people who have been kept captives by Satan. He has defeated Satan. He has bound him. He has disarmed him forever. He is setting the captives free. Therefore I say to them, come out and be free. To this purpose, Jesus Christ himself commissioned St. Paul. And we read in Acts 26 verse 18, I'm sending you to them. For what purpose? To open their eyes. Meaning spiritual eyes. That's a big problem, isn't it? And turn them from the darkness to light. Kingdom of God is light. Kingdom of Satan is darkness. And then he says, and turn them from the authority, from the power, from the kingdom of Satan unto God. That's evangelism. And therefore, if you are a fence-sitter, one among the crowd, you like the comfort of many people, thrill-seekers, but never coming to a place of decision, I say, wake up. Come out of the crowd. Stand up. Come forward and say, I confess today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He alone is able to save me. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, save me. And then look at the reaction of those who are believers who brought this sinner to Christ and the sinner was saved and joined the company of believers. You can imagine the joy. Rejoice in your salvation if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Rejoice. And then if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not sit down. You will go to the sinners and bring them to Jesus Christ. Rejoice in your salvation and proclaim this to the nations. The Bible says, tell them the kingdom of God has come. Satan has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Tell them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved forever. Tell them to come out from darkness into the glorious light, from death to life, from misery and fear and wretchedness, come into the realm of peace forever. The Bible says now is the accepted time, isn't it? Now is the day of salvation. And we sang a couple of hymns, they all spoke about time. Time is running out. And time is being registered in your persons. Just like it is registered in a tree, it is registered in you. Soon we all will die. And I urge you and plead with you. Truly Jesus Christ is the Son of David. He's the Messiah. He's the one anointed to deliver us and liberate us. Trust in Christ. And be honest about it. Be sincere about it. Be determined about it. Be purposeful about it. And don't ever receive Jesus Christ in order to make money. That means you value money more than Jesus Christ. Now that is the most prominent gospel today in this country and around the world. I will do anything as long as it will give me money, it will give me health, and it will do all. That is an affront. That is treating Jesus Christ with contempt. 
Jesus Christ is offering us something greater than money, than political freedom, than health of the body. He alone offers us liberation from the clutches. He alone raises the dead. He alone takes us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you have mercy upon us. Heavenly Father, we are very sorrowful to see that there are certain people who will not believe. No matter how much evidence is given to them, they are lovers of Satan and tools of Satan. They are like Pharaoh. They will not believe. Lord, this causes us to fear and tremble that the kingdom of God is coming upon them with such power and force that they will be crushed. And so, God, we cannot pray for their salvation, but we pray for the crowds. Oh, God, have mercy upon them and speak to them that they cannot remain neutral. They must decide. There is no third position. Either we are with Jesus or we are against Jesus. Oh, God, have mercy upon anyone in this place who has not sought this great salvation in Jesus Christ. Have mercy upon such people, O oh God. We know that they cannot come. And you are able to do that. You have done it in our lives. So we pray, O oh God, make bad tree good. Make bad heart good heart, O oh God. That they may trust in you and your son, Jesus Christ. That they may be saved. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Lord. Amen.